100.7 FM WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight, exclusively by FNM Bank. 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. Right here in Hendersonville, FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlights, Tony Richards. Good morning and welcome to Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here on WHIN. Brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank at myfmbank.com and also at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. And speaking of Hendersonville, we've got their fire chief on the phone with us today, Scotty Bush. Scotty, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for again for this opportunity. Yeah, we haven't talked to you in quite a while. Um, I think the last time I saw you, you were in a little house, temporary quarters. <laughs> yep, that's correct. Over on East Drive, that's where we were at until uh, they got uh, finished building uh, new station two. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, if you can, and uh, and how the move went, and uh, how is everybody adjusting, and and uh, maybe. A little bit about the firehouse. I don't know if you guys had uh, much of a chance to get the public through there with everything going on, uh, at least this year. Uh, that's correct. So uh, the move was uh, uh, virtually seamless. Um, it took us about, um, I don't know, we started packing uh, maybe a couple of weeks before we knew that we were going to come over here, uh, getting everybody's offices packed up, boxed up, uh, and we started bringing loads over. Um, everybody kind of chipped in here in the admin offices and uh, knocked it out over a, a day and a half, two day period uh, of bringing boxes up and putting them in folks office and um, all the while still trying to maintain, you know, uh, business administrative wise, uh, never really affected the suppression folks. Obviously they kept doing what they do um, from um, public works and uh, the bottom floor they had occupied. Uh, so uh, it just feels good to be home. Uh, it's a great facility. And unfortunately, due to COVID-19, we have not been able to do a ribbon cutting or uh, any kind of opening um, that would involve the community, which we would certainly like to do. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that and see maybe in the spring. Um, that tends to more people kind of get a little stir crazy being locked up in the winter as well. And maybe we can do something in the spring that folks would be comfortable coming out to and can see uh, the, the, the facility and how much it means to our department and the community. Well, it sounds like it was certainly worth the wait, that's for sure. That's correct. It's well worth the wait, but like I said, we're certainly glad to be back home. Um, so can you tell us how many vehicles you were able to support there? I, I'm not even sure uh, kind of what everything holds. So it's a, it's a double bay station, uh, which means we can hold up to two pieces of equipment in it. Um, uh, so right now it's uh, housing our uh, engine company, too, and our special operations uh, piece of equipment. Okay, so that um, also, sorry, that also sort of doubles as a as a, you know a covers an area, I guess. So the uh, the special operations is not staffed uh, yet, uh, but uh, in the uh, I guess if a truck company was to go down for maintenance or anything like that, or an issue popped up, a tire was to get uh, to need to be replaced or anything like that, we move our truck companies over to that uh, special operations vehicle and they run that uh, as a secondary truck. Even though it does not have an aerial device, we still have the same amount of, of uh, folks on the fire ground um, minus one ladder. And then we work out an agreement with uh, Gulletsville and Gallatin if we needed a second ladder company 
that we would certainly call them in. And we have automatic aid agreements with them anyway, so they would be one of the first two groups that we would call uh, in the event of a, an apartment fire or something like that that we may need uh, two truck companies for. Well, that's uh, that's nice to know you got the backup. And, you know, it's no small task. You know, it seems simple, you know, oh, well, we lost a tire. That's not a simple thing with a fire truck. That's right. So uh, when it happens, you've got to obviously make those phone calls. And uh, typically uh, we have a, a, a really good relationship with uh, General Tire uh, out of Gallatin. They, uh, they typically drop what they're doing and come to us uh, in an emergency like that. Uh, but sometimes we still have to wait for them to to gather their stuff, and it can be, you know, a couple, two or three, four hours. And obviously in our business, you never know when the, the, the bell is going to drop and it be an incident to where you may need both truck companies. So uh, we, we, we try to work well with those folks that service our apparatus, and uh, they certainly uh, bend over backwards for us to try to get us back on the road. Well, I know COVID's affected uh, pretty much everything and every business and every service uh, and every community, and I think we've been pretty fortunate in Sumner County in particular, uh, hopefully, uh, with finances. But how has uh, how's the staff doing? How, how has it affected staff, if at all? Um, so uh, we've done really, really well. I'm very proud of the staff and the job that they've done. Um, we, uh, we got ahead of this thing as it started coming out, um, and we got a lot of in education, a lot of information out to our staff uh, as this unfolded. As you know, this was a working, uh, un unfortunately, a working uh, pandemic, if that's what you want to call it, uh, where we just typically had to send out information, it seemed like, every other day of things that were changing. So um, it did change uh, some things for us. Uh, we changed the way we decon now. We changed the way that we uh, send folks in on calls. Typically, if we go on a medical call, uh, anywhere from two to three folks would go inside the house. Uh, what we did due to COVID-19 is we reduced that to one person. Uh, if they were positive screened for COVID-19, they had to gown up, uh, wear every level of protection, level B, uh, goggles, I mean, uh, N95 mask, cover their hands, their head, their face. And then as they come went in and did an assessment on the patient, if we needed more help, uh, we would certainly bring uh, the medical equipment in uh, because, again, that was a huge concern was getting stuff contaminated and bringing it back to the fire halls. And then, of course, we deconned on the scene, and then once we got back to the fire hall, we deconned uh, there at the station. And I certainly feel like those are things that we're going to probably keep in place moving forward. Uh, decon's always big, washing your hands, you know, that's the number one way to uh, stop the spread of any disease. But we certainly have uh, reevaluated how we do things uh, on the scene. We don't just take medical gloves off and put them in the engine anymore. Uh, we try to reduce the opportunity for cross-contamination. I see. So have you had to deal directly with uh, patients in uh, distress because of COVID-19 by any chance? I mean, I'm assuming yes, most uh, certainly. You, know, uh, you were uh, helpful with the nursing home situations we had earlier in the spring. But what about just in general? So, yes, sir. I mean, we, we come in contact with it uh, on a regular basis. Um and just a rough estimate as far as employees that contracted COVID-19 that were tested positive uh, from March until uh, current date right now, uh, we've had about seven to nine folks that uh, contracted COVID-19. Uh, so we did a really exemplary job of, of protecting ourselves and also uh, while protecting the people in our community. Uh, we did play a major role in uh, all the nursing homes here in Hendersonville. Uh, we stayed in contact with every one of those folks. Uh, we wanted to make sure that if they had any issues or concerns, that they knew they could lean on us, that we're in, in this together, we're partners, and we certainly would do whatever we needed to do to help facilitate things. And that, that could just be 
uh, getting them some hand sanitizer. It could be giving them some wipes. Um, I mean, uh, it could be a thermometer. Uh, we, we gave up a thermometer for uh, one nursing home until they got theirs in. As you know, the mad rush for thermometers created a backlog and a back order for those. So uh, we worked really well with all the, uh, the facilities here. Uh, as we got into this, you know, families were restricted to go and visit. And uh, the, the shifts here in the stations uh, got together with um, a group on Facebook, and they wrote out um, cards of encouragement uh, to all of the nursing homes uh, here in Hendersonville. So we, I think we wrote out close to 300 cards uh, and provided them uh, to folks there in all the nursing home communities uh, in Hendersonville. That's great, especially after uh, you know what we experienced early on. But a lot of people just didn't know what was going on. So when, when this all began... Um, and I'm assuming you get together with other branches of uh, safety, police, uh, you know, other fire departments, things like that on a regular basis. When this kind of became as serious as everybody thought, did you guys all get together again and or at least uh, collaborate on how we were going to address this latest issue? So, yes, sir. So uh, kind of when it first broke out, it's kind of a um, it's not a funny story, but uh, I was actually on uh, vacation. I was out of the country. Um, uh, I was in New Zealand uh, when this broke out. Um, you know, when I first left, it was discussions about it, and then as I got into New Zealand, uh, it really uh, spun up and took off. Uh, but my assistant chief, Mike Holt, and my administrative staff here, along with my division chiefs and the, and the suppression people, the folks in the in the field doing the work, um, they they kept uh, information flowing. Uh, they reached out. We had uh, daily meetings uh, with uh, everybody in the city staff. And then we also met uh, with uh, a countywide meeting that involved, you know, fire, EMS, police, all agencies, and we discussed any issues that we would have. We would share, you know, if people were running short of something, if we had extra, we would share with them uh, until we really found out, you know, what we were going to do and what the resources and where they were all going to come from. And then when I got back, we kept it spun up. Obviously, uh, the numbers kept increasing, kept getting a, a little crazy. Uh, so we just kept those daily meetings up, daily information. And uh, my staff and myself, we met on a daily basis. Then I went to the staff meeting, reported out of what my staff, uh, we met about, uh, and shared it with police, fire, and, of course, any protective equipment, gear, anything like that. We worked with PD to make sure they had what they needed to protect their folks because at the end of the day, fire and police, public safety, we're in this together. Uh, it's not discounting any other uh, departments, but we were in the front lines of this, and we wanted to make sure – that they were our partners and they were protected uh, as well as what we were. Absolutely. So um, did did the procedures, any of the procedures or things change after the initial meeting on getting together and how to handle this? Well, yes, sir. Like I said, it was a working piece of uh, a, a, a document. I mean, it changed uh, several times. You know, there at one time it was about if you came in contact with it, you were supposed to self-quarantine. Uh, if you knew that you had a positive case, even without signs and symptoms, uh, so we, we had to, to battle with staffing with that. Uh, you know, you, you can't arbitrarily just start sending people home because they come in contact with it. Uh, so we, we implemented temperature checks uh, at our stations, all of them. You had to do them three times a day. You had to do them first thing in the morning. You had to do them before you went to bed at night. And then you had to do them again the first thing in the morning before you went home. Um, uh, we, we changed the way they uh, did uniforms. We, uh, we stopped the, uh, them taking their uniforms home, wearing them there. Uh, if they went on a COVID-19 call, we certainly encouraged them to wash their uniforms immediately when they got back. Uh, so we put a lot of policies and, and changes in place 
uh, that you know initially we might not have done, but we started working through this and figured out again what we were trying to do to protect our our, our workers and their families. We certainly didn't want anybody to take anything back home uh, to their families. Right. Uh, we did have exactly. a couple, of- and I, I would imagine when a COVID call came in. You know, the first few weeks, it was probably a little uh, hesitant to go in there. Not hesitant, but just, you know, a little extra set of caution. But we know a whole lot more than we did then. That's correct. Yeah, it, it created a little bit of fear at first. Uh, you know, a lot of unanswered questions. But as it started playing out and we had the answers, and, um, you know, again, thanks to my administrative staff, myself, and the folks in the field doing the work, we stayed ahead of the curve and, and kept getting the information out and, and providing the highest level of protection not only to the folks in the community, but for our staff as well. Yeah, sounds good. We are talking with uh, Hendersonville Fire Chief Scotty Bush. Scotty, we're uh, up against our first break here. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about everything going on, uh, maybe staffing levels, and uh, you always, I know, try to have things uh, going on in the community, which has probably been a little tough uh, for not only you but for everybody. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, too, and maybe we can get things back to normal here in a little bit. We'll come back with more of Sumner County Spotlight right after these messages from our sponsor, FNM Bank, at myfmbank.com and 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight, where our guest this morning is Hendersonville Fire Chief Scotty Bush. And Scotty, uh, so we have the whole COVID thing, and which meant a lot of events and things were canceled in 2020 and, you know, still may not be uh, here for a while. But, you know, a lot of those things you guys were a huge part of, whether it was fireworks or concerts or anything else. Um, how have you guys adapted to those kind of things? And is it giving you a chance to kind of regroup and maybe work on some things that you haven't had the chance to because you guys were always so busy? Um, so certainly uh, it kind of altered the way that we uh, got out in the community. Um, a lot of folks um, looked at us as high-risk people, and rightfully so, uh, because we were in and out of so many folks' houses, um, and you know nobody knew who was or who did or who was exposed to COVID-19 or who had it. So obviously fire and police were uh, not that people changed their, their, their feelings, about us, but they certainly thought, well, these folks are a higher risk to be exposed to it, so we should be a little leery of that. So that changed uh, a whole lot of stuff for us. Um, the outpouring of support for fire and police during this time was huge uh, for us in town. Uh, I mean, people just tried to respond. They got together, gave us wipes, uh, hand sanitizer. I mean, just, just box, box loads of it. Of course, we shared that with PD, or if they've got it, they shared it with us. Uh, but it also put a, a halt to folks bringing, you know, food or anything like that to the stations. Um, so basically what we did is we shut the stations down for visitors, and that, and that meant even families. Uh, yeah, we that didn't had want to folks be kind of tough. Yes. So we didn't want folks walking in uh, to where we could be a cesspool uh, for COVID-19. Uh, we worked out, uh, I don't know if you, were, if you remember, but we uh, had our stations and our apparatus decon. We had a... Uh, a great conversation with Serpro of uh, uh, over in Mount Juliet and then Sumner County, um, and uh, they came in and uh, deconned our stations and deconned our equipment, which gave us um, a lot of, uh, I guess, calm and resolve as far as uh, making sure that everything that we were doing, uh, we were, were making sure that we maintained a level of uh, safety for our staff and folks that come in contact with us. Right. So. 
tell us about, uh, I, it's hard to predict. I mean, nobody can really say when things will get back to normal. But as as you weren't able to do um, some things and have that visibility in the community, um, were there some unexpected things that good that came out of this just because, you know, there was so much sort of self-evaluating by all kinds of departments, and I'm sure yours was no exception. So, yeah, we, we still tried to get out in the community as best we could. We had several folks that reached out to us. Uh, we could not do any kind of parades or anything like that. Obviously, if we caught a call and we had to break off of a parade, you know, kids are so fascinated with fire and police uh, vehicles. Uh, we couldn't take the chance of uh, branching off from a parade and a child run out in front of the road and, and us run over one of them or something catastrophic like that happened. Uh, so we, we uh, came to the resolve of doing drive-bys. Um, so if we got folks that called us and they wanted us to drive by and do a birthday celebration, uh, we would do that and uh, we would arrange it at, at, for a time as long as calls wouldn't prevent us from doing that. And we would take them a gift bag with, you know, coloring books, helmets, uh, stickers, decals, just whatever we typically give out wow, for that fire is, prevention. That is really cool. And I think people forget that the first responders, how important it is for you guys to stay connected to the community because, you know, it, it gives you that sense of we're doing, we're doing good work here. We're doing the right thing. We're helping our community. Correct. So we would uh, leave the, the gift bags out by the mailbox, no contact with anybody. Uh, we would explain to the parents what we were doing uh, in conversation, and we did several of those. So uh, we had an exceptional time with that. Uh, what we're dealing with right now is we typically do a smoke detector canvas uh, where we work with the state fire marshal's office and do free installs with smoke detectors. So right now with COVID-19, even though the numbers seem to be uh, decreasing, um, there's still you know some fear in the community and what we're going to try to do is do a, a, like a media blitz on our Facebook page, uh, possibly try to get a message out that we're going to give them a block of uh, maybe a week and have them call and sign up uh, for the folks that want to, where typically a canvas, we would just hit an area and go door to door and knock. And uh, we, again, we don't want to scare people. We, we want to try to do the right thing in the community. Uh, so we're looking at doing that and, and getting that verbiage together and getting a, the media blitz out there so folks will know that we're coming for a week and they can certainly call and schedule an appointment with us to come and do those smoke detectors. Because at the end of the day, community safety, and and it's a message we always uh, want to try to deliver, and, and we want to be uh, at the head of the table when we deliver that message. Right, exactly. And with everybody, you know, kind of staying at home for the last four to six months, or at least uh, more home more often than they were, this is an opportunity for them to kind of, you know, go through your home, check for your detectors, go through those things, and and I'm sure the fire department would help you in any way they could. That's correct. Yeah, we need anything they need that hopefully that'll open up uh, the lines of communication, and uh, we'll certainly play a role with them and and uh, doing whatever we can to help them feel and be safe. Well, what about the fire marshal's job and the businesses? Because you know, businesses a lot of them are closed. They may have not had their smoke detectors checked in a while, or exit lights, things like that, um, you know, they need to ha uh, help uh, and reminders as well. That's correct. So uh, we were doing a, uh, a smoke or a tailboard safety inspection program uh, for our ISO rating. It was imperative that we get in the businesses every year. Uh, we started that program uh, a little over a year ago. Um, obviously, when COVID-19, businesses shut down and or again uh, because we were looked at as being a high-risk group. We just didn't want to start barging in people's uh, businesses. So it did slow that back uh, down quite a bit, but we're picking that back up now uh, as businesses are starting to open, and uh, we're, we're certainly maintaining uh, that level of, uh, 
again, communication between uh, the business owners and uh, the fire marshal's office and the suppression people to, hey, we're here to help. Um, we're we're going to try to do what we can to keep sure to make sure that your business is safe as possible. Well, exactly, and I think some businesses and just people in general, when when somebody is there to look over their shoulder or help them out, they look at it more of, you know, from a compliance standpoint. When in the reality, you're there to help them. Yes, sir, one hundred percent. We we for sure going to do that. So. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about business. We've talked about let, let's talk about staffing. And has had the COVID nineteen thing affected your staffing levels at all? Um, so on, on occasion it has, uh, but we uh, again uh, the citywide staff meetings with each department. Uh, we worked through some uh, issues. We were prepared. Uh, we were having discussions about uh, getting blocks of rooms for folks that did come in contact with COVID nineteen, um, and if they start showing signs or symptoms that we would put them in hotels. Of course, you had to navigate a lot of waters uh, with those hotel owners because, again, um, they were going through a tragic part of, uh, uh, I guess, of uh, uh, history uh, where folks were not traveling and using their facilities as much. And then, obviously, you don't want to put a bunch of people in your COVID-19 uh, positive in your hotel for potential clients to also be exposed to it. Uh, so we were working through some navigating some of those waters uh, we had some folks that, uh, on their own uh, uh, choice, stayed away from their families uh, for a couple of two or three months, if not longer. Uh, that was their uh, their own choice. We certainly tried to stay on top of those folks and made sure that you know because you're away from your family, do you need something from us? Um, right, especially uh, if I, they maybe had elderly people in their family. Correct, correct. So uh, we, if they had to travel a little bit further to work, we we would make sure. Uh, I would make sure, um, I don't say I, but we as a department, not using taxpayers' money, we made sure that these folks had gas cards. Uh, we gave them some uh, gift cards to uh, uh, grocery stores because they were eating separate from their family. Uh, we wanted to make sure that this was not taking a toll on them, uh, not just emotionally, but financially as well. So uh, our agency stepped up. We, we, we did a big part in that for folks. Uh, and like I said, seven to nine people over the over the, the, the course of this pandemic uh, is uh, unbelievable for the job that we did. Yeah, exactly. So um, how about training? Did this give you the opportunity to maybe catch up on some things that you guys have just because you're, uh, you know, life being normal and being busy, that you could kind of refocus the department and maybe uh, just kind of reevaluate everything and say, all right, what could we do and what, what you know, differently or train better or whatever? So, yes, sir, it sure did. I mean, obviously, the training pretty much stopped. There is a certain amount of hours uh, that we have to meet every year um, for in-service hours. And obviously, with COVID-19, encouraging uh, folks to be in large groups was uh, not, not, not a good move. So it kind of derailed us uh, as far as that goes for a few months. Um, we got with this Tennessee State Fire Commission. Uh, we talked about different ways that we can do things, and it opened up our eyes uh, to different ways to train. Uh, we now can do video conferencing uh, training. Uh, if it's live, we can do live feeds at the stations and have the instructor in one part of the, the city at a station and then the other groups uh, there at their station with their uh, safe distancing in place or mask, and then they can actually do the skills there at the station uh, and ch have each other checked off on those. So, we uh, again, we adapt and overcame a situation that we were not expecting and uh, we've, we've uh, now realized that we can do this training without having to move companies out of districts or zones um, and, and, and do it uh, just as effectively as the state wants us to. 
Well, that's great. What? Um, so can you tell us how the shifts do work? Uh, I don't know that we've ever really covered that, just for the, the people that don't know how the, the fire stations work. Um, days on, days off, how different shifts work, how many people on, how many people off, that kind of thing? So uh, basically we have uh, 37 people per shift. So we have three shifts. We have an A detail, a B detail, and a C detail. Uh, and there's 37 folks on each shift. And they work 24 hours, so they come in at 7 uh, like the group came in at 7 o'clock today, they'll get off at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. So they work 24 hours, and then they're off for two days. Um, and we service uh, the stations are provided a level of protection uh, 365 days a year, seven days a week. Uh, holidays, uh, birthdays, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we, we, our suppression folks are always here and ready to, to uh, respond to calls. Um, how about recruiting, training? Uh, well, we talked a little bit about your existing training, but for new recruits, or what, is everything sort of on pause a little bit, or how does that go? So it's kind of ironic that you asked that question. We had a guy that was in recruit school when the pandemic hit. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of things in the state offices started shutting down, which meant the fire academy. Um, so they did a lot of uh, remote online things uh, until some of this uh, had slowed down. Uh, they started feeling comfortable with opening the, uh, the state offices and the state campuses back up, and we got that individual back over there, and it just kind of pushed uh, graduation from the academy out like two or three weeks uh, for that. Um, so uh, it was a it was a change for us and a and change for that particular uh, staff member as well, but we got to continue on with the education part, and then they got to do the skills part when they got to get back in the groups together. Well, and they could get ready for that uh, skills part because that's not easy. That's correct. A lot, of, a lot of, a lot of moving pieces are involved with that. Yeah, we are talking with uh, Hendersonville Fire Chief Scotty Bush this morning on Sumner County Spotlight on WHIN. We're back uh, right after these messages, and we'll continue our program in just a moment. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. We are back with Sumner County Spotlight and our guest this morning, Hendersonville Fire Chief Scotty Bush. And uh, Scotty, so October, it is a National Fire Prevention uh, Month. And typically, you guys have lots of things going on. And I wanted to talk to you about the schools because the fire department's always involved with the schools in one way or another. Um, have you guys still had some contact and done some things? And what maybe are the plans uh, at least through October? So uh, it, it is. It's a huge month typically for us. Uh, fire Prevention Month is really big uh, in any fire department. Uh, if you if you don't take advantage of that situation to get in the, the schools and, and, and educate folks about fire safety, you miss a, a great opportunity. Um, we're not sure yet how that's going to play out. We've had a few schools reach out to us. Uh, typically, we are covered up the month of uh, October uh, with going to campuses and, and teaching fire safety and uh, showing vid uh, videos and, and, and discussing fire safety with folks and then basically walking them around our apparatus and showing them, uh, you know, all the tools that we use, all the appliances, everything that comes on that fire engine of, of what we bring to your house uh, on a particular call. Uh, so right now we're looking at possibly trying to schedule some things. Uh, we're not sure. We're going to have to first make sure that the schools and the teachers and the heads of the schools are uh, okay with us coming out. Um, obviously, we're still doing our temp checks, um, so we feel like that we're still looking out for our folks' best interest, that we're not taking anybody out there with a fever or anything like that. 
to increase that opportunity. And when you talk about the, the smaller kids in our community, you certainly are not developed uh, immune health-wise, and we certainly don't want to do anything to, to hurt anybody in the community. Uh, we always want to be on the, on the, uh, the, the side of doing the, the right thing for folks in the community. Uh, so we're, we're evaluating what we're going to do this year, and uh, hopefully we can still get some messages out, even if we have to make videos and send to the schools and let them show those. Um, that's an option that we certainly have been uh, weighing in our, in our minds uh, of getting the message out. Well, I think everybody can't wait till you can actually bring those uh, apparatuses out to the schools and let kids climb through them again. That's just, it's such an important part of growing up. Yes, sir, it's important. Um, so Hendersonville's got a little bit of a unique thing. Not not that it's completely unique to all communities, but there is a large body of water um, in Hendersonville. And, and uh, has the Hendersonville Fire Department over the past 100-plus years always had the right tools that they need to deal with a unique situation like that, and you've probably had to loan some of those out to other areas if, if they ever needed uh, lake rescue or things like that. So uh, we, we've been blessed uh, since about 2012, 2011. Uh, we do have a fire boat now. Uh, we did have a, a smaller boat that wasn't, didn't have a pump on it um, that we used for marina fires. Obviously, the big boat we have now is uh, very, very adequate uh, for marina fires. Matter of fact, when Gallatin had theirs uh, here a few months ago, uh, they requested our boat to go up, and we spent um, some time up there with helping them extinguish that fire. Uh, we've had two or three marina fires uh, here locally in Hendersonville that that boat was uh, pretty quick to respond to and kept things in check, uh, so we didn't have a large loss uh, like Gallatin suffered. Uh, obviously, we have a dive team. Um, we have uh, 19 members on our dive team. Uh, that's six uh, folks per shift. Uh, unfortunately, if you uh, kept up with local happenings, we did have a drowning this year, um, and we uh, di activated our dive team uh, folks that were on shift that day. And within six hours, we had located and recovered uh, the female that had drowned here in Hendersonville. So uh, 26.2 miles of lake frontage in Hendersonville. So we know um, we learned a lot after 2010 with the flooding, and we certainly uh, know that we uh, have to be able and be ready to respond on that, uh, that much water um, uh, and it's such a huge draw for the city of Hendersonville, the lake is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because there weren't as many people going uh, out to it, uh, that maybe things will be a little safe. It's unfortunate we did have uh, that drowning to deal with. But um, can we talk about, do, do counties or cities, municipalities, sort of go through what those unique um, things are about those counties, whether it be high-rise buildings or whether it be chemical factories or, or lake frontage or all of these things, does the fire chief have to kind of assess always what's going on so that you know you have the tools to deal with anything that might come your way? Yes, sir. That's all part of, uh, of what we've done uh, as an agency is, uh, again, those tailboard inspections. Uh, we, we get in the businesses. Uh, we see what they have chemical-wise. We, we try to do pre-plans. Uh, so at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, we don't get caught off guard with what's possibly in there that can be harmful to us or anybody else. Uh, we actually got computers put in our apparatus, um, I think, a year or so ago uh, that keeps our pre-plans and, and everything on there. So as they're driving, not the driver, but the officer can pull the pre-plan of the building up, uh, look at it, see what there's, what's there harmful chemical-wise. So we have a database that we pull things up to, to use to help facilitate firefighting medical calls or anything like that. So we certainly work hard uh, with our community. We work on a five-year strategic plan. 
Um, I'm working on my se- – well, I've turned in my second one. Uh, I've been chief for five years now, and we've done one, and we've been very successful with the previous goals uh, of our uh, five-year plan, and uh, we're currently working on that second five-year plan right now. And uh, it's already been distributed. It's out. And uh, we're trying to make check those boxes and make sure that we keep current with exactly what you spoke about. You know, that's amazing. I think, you know, I, and just even until we started talking today – I don't know that any, you know, that the public understands how much preparedness has to go in. It's got to be a huge part of just your job with things like that of, you know, hey, we've got to have a database and what's in this building and all of the things that have to happen before they do. So like you said, you're not surprised. Correct. So, you know, again, we learned a lot in 2010 with the flood. Uh, we have over 30 members now that are swift water technician trained. Uh, and we've been all over the place, uh, all over the country with our deployments. Uh, we've partnered with Metro, Nashville Fire. We've partnered with Gulletsville. Um, we've partnered with Gallatin Fire. We've partnered with Brentwood, Franklin. Uh, we've sent folks to South Carolina, Texas, North Carolina, Florida, Louisiana. Uh, we've been all over the, the, the country with our Swiftwater team, and we have some of the best folks uh, and some of those folks that we work with, that we partner with. Um, are also some of the best. So you learn from those things that happen, unfortunately, and uh, we, we are ahead of the curve now with that. Uh, if that flooding event was to ever happen again here, um, most of your agencies around here have highly skilled and qualified folks uh, to uh, facilitate rescues uh, or anything else that would be needed if that event ever happens. Yeah, I think, uh, don't I recall, maybe a year or two ago, there was a pretty important rescue. I may have been Davidson County, even with a, a police officer or something that helped do something like that. That's, that's correct, yes, sir. Uh, some of the police officers are also trained in that, cross-trained uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, swift water teams and fire departments. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, the, so how has um, COVID affected your, your drills and your, your, uh, your practice and, and skills and those kind of things? Because you still have to physically be ready for those things, I'm assuming. So basically, you know, we don't do a whole lot of multi-company training. I will say that we just got through doing uh, advanced extrication, which is vital. Uh, you know, uh, extricating people from car wrecks is a huge part of what we do. Um, but we, we didn't bring everybody together. We'd bring two or three companies together. Uh, if you weren't in, in, engaged in a skill, uh, you were to, you know, keep your distance, wear a mask. Um, so we, we're doing everything again to protect our people, even though we're, we're hopefully on the backside of this uh illness, disease. Um, so we're, we're still trying to get together, do some training, um, and uh, just look out again for the best of our people. Uh, doing the temperature checks is vital information that we keep amongst ourselves um, to make sure that we're not uh, letting somebody be on shift that does have a temperature or is not feeling correctly. So, I, and this may be a little uh, off base, the question, but um, is there, you know, knowing how many cases you've had, and it doesn't mean there's fatalities. Cases are cases. That just means you have the illness um, of COVID. And there's, you know, police and fire all over Sumner County. There's Portland. There's Goodlettsville. There's Gallatin. Can we, do you know about how are, is all of Sumner's uh, fire safety, public safety uh, folks doing okay without any huge uh, uh, spikes in coronavirus? Um, so there was, there was uh, some times there when this first broke out within the first uh, couple of months uh, that numbers started getting elevated with different agencies. Again, we, we met on a regular basis countywide, and so we, we talked about numbers and how many people were exposed in each agency. Um, so from EMS to fire to police, uh, 
uh, there was there were some shaky moments there, you know, with folks that were contracting it. Uh, we had some um, uh, folks uh, from local departments uh, that were actually ill in the hospital with the uh, the coronavirus. Um, so you know, it, you, you kind of shift gears of uh, you know, hey, we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves, and then something like that hits, and it kind of smacks you in the face and says, hey, this is really a a, a real deal, uh, and it, it is affecting some of our folks. Mm-hmm. Have, do you, um, you know, everybody sort of had opinions about it when it first started and nobody really knew what was going on. Do you have a different perspective now, uh, six months into this thing? Um, I, I mean, I have a personal opinion and a professional opinion, obviously, just like everybody else does. But uh, obviously, again, it's the perception. Um, so we mandate now that our folks, even if they go to the grocery store, or if they go to the restaurant, uh, we stopped our staff from going in restaurants to sit down to eat. Uh, but we also wanted to support the restaurants, you know, when they were going through their tough times. Right. Uh, so we, we just required them to wear a mask to go in and get their uh, to-go orders. Uh, or if they're going to the grocery store to buy food to, to cook here, they had to wear a mask. We didn't want to give people the perception that we didn't care uh, about what they thought about us. You know, again, high-risk people uh, being exposed to it, you know, numerous times a day. We didn't want folks to think um, that we didn't care about them and trying to do the right thing to protect them. Uh, so we wore masks. We're still wearing masks. Uh, we're probably going to do that maybe uh, for another month or so, and then we'll kind of see where the numbers are at and what direction uh, the overall community goes. Uh, unfortunately, there's folks out there that would, you know, consider us not giving a flip uh, if we didn't wear uh, masks to protect people, and uh, we don't want that perception out there. We want folks to know we care about them. Um, every day we wear this uniform, and every day we don't wear the uniform, uh, we're looking out for their best interest. Right. Well, I, you know, one of the things I do as a parent and have always done is I make sure my kids know where their local fire station is. And if something ever happens, doesn't matter what it is, um, I always encourage them to go there. They're going to have a friendly face. They're going to have somebody who will help them. Obviously, police is the same way. Um, but like you said, kids are fascinated with the equipment and fire stations and things like that. And I know you don't want to turn anyone away, um, but, you know, uh, there are going to people just wander in if some emergency happens at some point. You're not, you're not going to close the door in, in their face. Correct. No, sir. We, we're still there, like I said, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and uh, a true emergency. Uh, so basically what we were doing is if we saw somebody walking up, uh, we would have somebody go out and greet them and see what they needed. Um, so yeah, basically we kind of just put somebody, we, we kind of put somebody on watch um, just for that simple purpose. We've had folks drive up before in cars with a medical emergency. So we kind of had somebody watching uh, at all of our stations. Uh, they could pull shifts doing that and uh, make sure if somebody drove up uh, and, and, and started walking in that we met them outside to reduce the, the, the fear that they may have and or reduce uh, the fear that maybe some of our folks had of somebody walking in with COVID-19. So, you know, pre-COVID-19 and things like that, how, do, does that happen often to people, you know, they don't know where to go or you're the closest and they're like, I'm pulling in here because I know these guys know medical assistance and things? Um, I'd say basically on a yearly basis, you may have five to ten cases of that, um, you know, and, and we want folks, you know, if, if, if they feel like they can get in a car and drive, uh, we always say the best thing to do is call 911. We'd rather get there and tell you that you, you can be transported by car or uh, uh, ambulance, whichever one you choose, that's a personal choice. Right. But if we exactly. get there and we do our emergency. Patients. Sometimes they may not have a choice; they just got to go somewhere. Correct. Correct. So, 
we we never discourage anybody from coming to the fire stations. We certainly will will, will deal with any problem. We've had multiple problems come to the fire halls, and we've we've dealt with it or got the agencies uh, involved that needed to be involved, regardless of uh, the issue. All right, we are talking with Fire Chief uh, Scotty Bush of the Hendersonville Fire Department, and uh, we're up against our break here, Scotty. We're going to come back and talk to uh, Fire Chief a little bit more with our last segment right after these messages here on WHIN. Welcome to Sumner County Spotlight. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. You found Sumner County Spotlight here on WHIN this Sunday morning, brought to you by FNM Bank at myfmbank.com and at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. And on the phone, social distancing with us this morning is Fire Chief Scotty Bush. And Scotty, uh, so we're, you know, cruising through this pandemic and, you know, you, you've done a lot of things uh, with the area, health facilities, hospitals, et cetera. How has that changed uh, in the last six months? So uh, as we spoke uh, earlier, we, uh, we had those uh, daily meetings uh, with uh, agencies across the county and those agencies involved. Uh, hospitals and nursing homes and the health department. So uh, we, we listened to uh, their capacities, uh, what they were able to handle patient load-wise. Uh, if uh, somebody had was COVID-19 positive and needed a ventilator, uh, we knew exactly how many patients were on ventilators, how much more room they had. Uh, so they were sharing lots of information with us as we were sharing uh, information with them. Uh, of course, we, we talked about best practices uh, for decon for everybody. Uh, what we would need to do if we had a uh, an issue uh, that we needed to um, uh, do a mass decon, what role we would play in that to help the hospitals or the EMS facilities uh, or providers. Uh, so we, we, we did a lot of discussions and tabletop stuff, and uh, overall we were prepared for just about anything we thought uh, that uh, could be thrown our way. You know, it's interesting. We learned some hard lessons early with the the tragedy at the the nursing homes and the, and the thing in Gallatin, and which I'm sure it was all hands on deck uh, when that was going on. That everyone helped out. Yes, yeah, so that's correct. So, and, and unfortunately, you're you're correct. We did learn some lessons from that, and uh, almost immediately when we found out what was going on in Gallatin, uh, we uh, that's when we started our rapport with all of our nursing home facilities here. We certainly wanted them to know that we're not. Uh, going to alienate them, that we were here to help uh, either navigate waters, try to get them the help they needed, or provide the assistance they needed. So we started those conversations, and we called them on Tuesdays and Fridays. So we called them, uh, Mondays are usually hectic for everybody. We let them get their feet underneath them on Mondays. Uh, we would have discussions with them. We split them all up between three or four of my staff. They would make those phone calls, and they would report back to me, and then we would get uh, get supplies or whatever information they needed and get it uh, get it to them. So it was something that taught us that what, maybe if we got ahead of the curve um, and we had those open lines of communication, if something like that did happen at one of those facilities here in town, that we would certainly have a, a great rapport uh, with that staff. Right, exactly. And I think, um, has anything, uh, because I think Sumner County learned the lessons pretty early, um, have we had any unforeseen uh, incidents, um, not at that magnitude, or obviously we would have heard about it, but that uh, maybe a spike here and there that uh, you had to get ready for? Um, nothing overly uh, concerning, I'm sure, in some of the facilities. Uh, they, they had some positive cases, uh, but we, again, and communicate with them. Uh, we knew how many cases they had. Uh, so from a Tuesday to a Friday, if they had an increase of four, uh, we knew uh, what what that was. 
we, we may not know the particular name or uh, room number, uh, but they implemented rules too. So uh, a lot of those facilities, uh, you, it was mandatory that you wore gloves and masks as a minimum uh, when you made entry into their facilities to protect them and then also protect the, the uh, folks inside those uh, nursing facilities. Right, and then, you know, there was a great unknown of getting kids back in school, which I, I'm assuming had all public safety a little on uh, high alert just in case something, but uh, so far, so good. Yes, sir, so far. I think there's been a couple of little uh, outbreaks uh, in a couple of facilities. I think uh, there were some sporting events canceled. A couple of high school teams maybe uh, had some patients. I, I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but uh, I think overall the school system has done an excellent job. Uh, and they've monitored and maintained a, a level of safety for everybody. Well, Chief, what's, uh, so let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, it's kind of hard to prognosticate the future, but uh, just as far as events and gathering and 2021, um, do we see something breaking loose? And, and it's really hard to predict, I guess. Yes, sir, it is. I, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, I want us to be able to get back to what we feel like is normal operations as far as getting in the schools, uh, being really active in the community, uh, you know, your veterans parades, your Christmas parades, uh, things like that. We certainly enjoy being a part of those and being out in the community eye. Uh, so I, I certainly hope that things can get back to, to somewhat of a normalcy there. Uh, we had to cancel the fireworks this year, you know, in, in Hendersonville and surrounding areas as well. So that was kind of devastating to us. Uh, you know, that's always an event that we put the boat out in the water because there's so many people on the lake. Uh, we put the UTV in the parks, and uh, we have such a large crowd that come to that. So, um, you know, the Parks Department does a fantastic job of putting that on every year. So, you know, when you think about this COVID-19, it didn't really just affect fire and police. Uh, it affected a lot of things. You know, all the travel ball teams stopped, um, all the tax money that came from uh, those teams that traveled to play in tournaments and stay in the hotels, all that decreased. So it, it had a, a huge effect across uh, the country uh, and in Hendersonville. So we, we certainly feel like it's on the upswing now, and we hope that we get back to what we consider normal activity. Yeah, especially with the, the growth spurt we were all experiencing and uh, revenues were pouring in and a lot of people coming to Sumner County to uh, enjoy you know, the great area and things that we offer. So, you know, with fireworks and things like that being uh, canceled and, you know, who knows what New Year's is going to bring uh, as well. Um, did more folks have issues because they were blowing stuff off at home? or? So uh, the, the city of Hendersonville changed uh, their uh, fireworks ordinance. Um, you can, you're now allowed to shoot fireworks, I think, a day or two before the 4th, uh, but there is a time frame with that. I, I think um, the ordinance was probably a good change because the thing about it was is uh, people were shooting them off at home anyway, even when you were banned from shooting them at home. Uh, so right. we, the, the philosophy of the of the uh, BOMA leaders uh, was to just go ahead and allow them to shoot those off on those certain days uh, to get, let them get it out of their system, uh, and uh, it, it would uh, be better for the overall city. Um, so um, we did see an uptick in that this year, uh, but I think that's probably going to be a new norm uh, since the ordinance was changed, and I certainly uh, look for folks. But I, I do still encourage folks to, um, from a safety standpoint, let the professionals do it. Uh, and uh, certainly go and participate in those firework shows uh, in your local communities uh, areas when they when they have those. Well, Chief, when a call comes in, I mean, you guys are boom, you're there, you're on it. 
Um, what At what point do you have to pause a second as a call comes in, maybe something other than a house fire, but so that you can make sure you put the right assets on that location? So all that starts from the information uh, that's given to uh, the ECC, the dispatch center. Uh, so it really begins with them based on the information that they're provided. Uh, we have policies and we have uh, guidelines in place of what needs to respond to what type call. Uh, so if it's a car wreck in Hendersonville, we send an engine company and both of our truck companies uh, that have our extrication tools on it. The, the, uh, the main engine company runs emergency traffic. The primary truck, which is closest to that engine company, runs emergency. And then the second truck runs nine uh, for the sake of safety. You know, with so much traffic in town, uh, we, we try to keep that in mind as we're driving emergency traffic uh, through the cities. And, and we try to take everybody's safety uh, into play with that. Uh, house fires, we send three engines, two trucks. Uh, we always have a division chief or a battalion chief on uh, on shift that's in charge that uh, gets responded to those areas. So um, we have guidelines, and the ECC uh, has done a, a huge improvement uh, from when they first started uh, with how they're dispatching uh, apparatus and uh, addresses and making sure we have the right equipment on the scene. That's very cool. So I know you said there was a lot of training that, that still goes on, as in particular with the extrication equipment and things like that. That's that's a dangerous thing, not only for the people who have been in the accident, but for the firemen that are actually using this, because, you know, you mess up, you could cause more damage, I would think. That's correct. So, I mean, obviously, uh, we, we have uh, an engine company that comes out. Our truck people are usually our specialists in extrication. Those are the guys and gals that go and get that extra training, you know, take it a, a step higher than the advanced um, and our engine companies provide support they give them the uh, the uh, fire hose uh, to protect them in case a fire was to break out uh, but anytime you're cutting on metal and glass there's shards of metal or shards of glass uh, they're spreading there's ripping of metal uh, during these uh, extrications so it's certainly a, a dangerous thing we always constantly have to evaluate the patient uh, while we're extracting them from that uh, mangled mess Right. That's that's kind of what I was wondering, because there's usually a medical person there to help you. I mean, if they got to calm them down or whatever. Yes, sir. So basically what we try to do here in Hendersonville is most of our staff is medically trained. Uh, all of them are to a certain level, but we have EMTs and paramedics. Uh, so we'll put a patient uh, or a uh, firefighter EMT or a firefighter medic in the car with them uh, that kind of talks them through. Uh, lots of times we have to cover them up with a blanket and they can't see and you lose one of your senses, as you know, it kind of heightens your other senses. So we make sure that we're there uh, talking to them and explaining to them the noises that they're hearing, uh, the, the, right, what they're experiencing. Right. Uh, so we, we, we try to stay in touch with them and keep them well-informed and let them know that we're right there beside them and uh, we're not going to do any more damage or hurt them any further. Uh, we're doing our best to get them out as quickly as possible. You know, I wonder if people realize the importance of that conversation uh, for fire and rescue or anything in the just the, you know, forget all of the, the work that's going on on the scene. It's the actual one-on-one -on -one with the victim. Yes, sir. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's a trade uh, that, like you said, most people probably, unless they've experienced one, doesn't really realize what happened. Well, I, I, I've experienced it, so I know firsthand that it made a huge difference, not only with me, but the people I were with who were freaking out. Um, and it, it was, I think, I guess, other than you know, being taken care of, the most important thing that I personally experienced. Yes, sir. It's, it's very important. I mean, we, we do this on every call we go on, uh, being kind, courteous, treating people the way that they should be treated. Uh, you know, uh, we, we like to refer to it when they call for us. It's their, their emergency. 
it's their worst day. And so we certainly want to do everything we can to minimize that and make them as comfortable as possible. Uh, it is a hidden trade, a hidden art. Car wrecks are very loud, noisy, scary already. Um, so for you to be in that car by yourself and nobody explaining to you what, what's going on, the moves that are being made, that, that can certainly uh, create more uh, uh, anxiety uh, that maybe could be uh, alleviated just by having somebody there talk to them. Well, not only that, but uh, post done, then you're done, you head back to the fire station, and then there's, you know, the people that were involved in it. They've got to kind of calm down and be, you got to think about them as well, correct? Yes, sir. So uh, we, we, we keep a constant check on our folks, you know, depending on the severity of the call, um, you know, and we, we, we make sure that their mental well-being is just as good as their physical well-being. Uh, we certainly don't want folks to walk away from uh, a call or something that, that, that's tearing them up mentally. Uh, we, we certainly do our part to maintain uh, a, a level of awareness for that. Uh, as you know, uh, um, the suicide rate and, and public safety has increased over the years. I certainly don't think that we're going to be seeing any decrease over the next few years, uh, but I do think the message that we deliver in our, inside our services is our, our, our staff is our best asset, and we certainly have to take care of them uh, physically and mentally. We just well, can't let either one of those... A big a- a big portion of the brotherhood and sisterhood of the fire department that they have each other to lean on a little as well. Correct. That's right. Yep. They have somebody to talk to immediately. And then if we need to call in more help, uh, we certainly do that. We have a chaplain on our department that we certainly get involved. Uh, so we, we, we take every, every measure that we can to make sure uh, we look out for the best for our employees, both mentally and physically. Well, uh, Fire Chief Bush, we appreciate your time. You've certainly enlightened us on lots of things, uh, not just with COVID, but just how um, sort of all-encompassing and a 360 look at the fire department and the preparedness that you guys have. And I I hope everybody in Hendersonville and around Sumner County uh, got something out of this because we sure did here. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, anytime, uh, I'll be more than happy to come back. All right, thank you very much. Fire Chief Scotty Bush of the Hendersonville Fire Department, our guest this morning here on Sumner County Spotlight. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll be back again next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here on WHIN for another edition of Sumner County Spotlight brought to you by FM Bank at myfmbank.com and at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Sumner County Spotlight has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, or even home mortgages, FNM Bank can provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.